Well, good morning. Welcome to our study through the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. I am Pastor Stephen, the teaching pastor and one of the elders here at Calvary Baptist Church in Phillipsburg, Kansas. Uh, today will be our last study uh, through the Baptist Confession. We are going to finish chapters 31 and 32, and we are going to address the last things. Um, before we get to our study, I do want to express uh, my appreciation uh, and the leadership of our church's appreciation and our members uh, for your participation in our study through the Baptist Confession. Uh, we've been in this over a year now. Uh, we have studied each chapter and each paragraph of each chapter, and, and it is our hope that you and your family have benefited from our study and that you have grown in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You are uh, fed by us, and, and we pray that we were a good supplement to what you received from your own church and from your own elders. Last week, I uh, told my church that um, our renewal for our website and our podcast is coming up. Uh, we renew every year in March, and when the podcast sent me our renewal notice, um, they also gave us a uh, review of our statistics through the year. And so from last March to this February, uh, our podcast has been accessed over 40,000 times. I think it was the number was like 42,000. 42,000 downloads and streams uh, to our podcast. And for a, a rural church here in Phillipsburg, Kansas, um, we, are, we are grateful. And we're thankful to God and, and we give him the glory. Uh, we're very humbled that um, the Lord has uh, made our teaching and of his word uh, accessible to so many people. And we hope that you continue to participate in our 11 o'clock service. Uh, for the future of 10 o'clock, we don't know yet. The elders don't know what's in our future for the 10 o'clock service. Um, as of right now, we will not have 11, a 10 o'clock service. We will only have the 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Um, and those... Sermons will be broadcasted um, here on our YouTube and on our podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, PodPoint. And so there are many ways you can access our teaching. Uh, but anyway, enough of that. Let's, let's get to our study this morning. We are going to examine the last things. The last things that take place uh, as the Christian or the unbeliever enters into the eternal state. And the scripture divides the last things into two different states. There's the intermediate state and the final state. The intermediate state describes uh, the time uh, after we die and the place where humans go. And so the intermediate state consists of the time after death but before the return of Christ, hence the term intermediate. 
The final state, which is also called the eternal state or the eternal dwelling place, and we'll examine this later, but the final state corresponds to a human's final dwelling place, which begins right after the second coming of Christ. So the intermediate state is the dwelling place for humans after the death, after their death and before the second coming of Christ. And the final state is the eternal dwelling place for humans that begins after the second coming of Christ. And so since the human experiences the intermediate state first, let's, let's begin there. According to Scripture, there are only two possible dwelling places for humans. There's only two. Either our dwelling place will be with the Lord in heaven, or our dwelling place will be apart from the Lord and in hell. That's it. And this dwelling place that we experience after death is the intermediate state. And this is the state that we remain in until the second coming of Christ. According to scripture, the human, all humans, are composed of a body and a soul. We are dichotomous in nature. All humans are made up of a body and a soul. Well, what about the scriptures that talk about the body, soul, and the spirit? Well, since the Bible only describes two dwelling places for the body and the soul, we must believe that metaphysically, the soul and the spirit are the same. And so when you look at scripture, the dwelling place is made for the body and the soul. And therefore, you have to believe metaphysically, the soul and the spirit are the same. So humans are made up of body and soul. And upon our death, when we die, the body and the soul go their separate ways for a period of time. Even from believers, uh, their bodies and their souls go a separate way, their separate ways for a certain amount of time, for a period of time. Well, what happens to the human body? Where does it go after death? Well, according to scripture, the human body returns to dust. It returns to its original substance. In Genesis chapter 2, the scripture says that God formed man from the dust of the ground. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living spirit. But in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam sinned, the Lord pronounced judgment against Adam. He says that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So since Adam sinned against the Lord, God's judgment against him was for him to die, and that his physical body would experience corruption, and it would return to its original substance, which was the dust of the ground. And since all humans are offsprings of Adam, and Adam was our representative in the garden, whether we are believers or unbelievers, when we die 
all of our bodies return to dust. And we see this throughout Scripture, and we also experience this. We, we see this in our daily lives. What happened to the men of Scripture when their bodies were dead? They were buried. They were placed in a tomb, and the bodies began to corrupt, to experience corruption. Uh, personally, I'm reading through the Second Kings, the book of Second Kings. And a common theme through the book of 2 Kings that each time a king of Israel or a king of Judah died, the scripture says he was buried in the tomb of his father. The body begins to decompose after death and it returns to the ground. And we experience that in our daily lives. When we go to a funeral, the body of the dead is placed into a coffin. That coffin is load into the ground in the human body because it does not have life. It decomposes. It experiences corruption. And no one is exempt from this. So the human body returns to the dust of the ground. That's what happens after death. But what about the human soul? Right? Well, unlike the human body, the human soul doesn't die. It continues to exist in the intermediate state. So since the human soul lives and continues to exist, where does the soul exist after we die? And that answer depends on the condition of a person's soul. The Baptist Confession says in chapter 31, paragraph 1, the souls of the righteous are then made perfect in holiness and are received into paradise. They are with Christ. They behold the face of God in the light of glory while they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. But the souls of the wicked are thrown into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved for the judgment of the great day. So for the righteous, for the Christian, those who have faith in Christ, immediately after their death, their soul enters into the presence of God. There's no waiting period. The soul doesn't go to sleep, but immediately after the believer dies, his soul enters into the presence of God. Now, why would the Baptist Confession, the authors of the Baptist Confession, why would they include that? Because of the Roman Catholic Church's teaching of purgatory. According to the Roman Catholic Church, a person must, be, uh, must attain righteousness before God actually declares them to be righteous. Before God can welcome you into heaven, according to the Roman Catholic Church, you have to attain to righteousness. You have to work up to that. That means before you come into the presence of God, the Catholic Church believes that you must actually be righteous. Righteous in your soul. Perfect. Sinless. And the Roman Catholic Church believes that once you become saved, once you have faith in Christ, then you have to work towards becoming righteous. So if there's any sin still present in your life at the time of death, the Catholic Church teaches that the soul goes to purgatory. A temporary holding place until the sin is actually purged from him. 
Now, how long does the Roman Catholic Church believe this process takes? However long it does take for the soul to become perfect. Now, is that what the scripture teaches? Not even close. Scripture teaches that a man is righteous the moment God declares him to be righteous. Scripture teaches that when a man embraces the gospel by faith, when he is justified by faith, all of his sins are gone. God cleanses him from all of his sins. He is justified at the moment he believes in Christ. So there's no need for a place of purgatory. There's no need for a man to uh, work his way up to righteousness after God has declared him to be righteous the moment he believes in Christ. So there's no need for purgatory. And not only that, but Scripture also teaches that the soul of a believer immediately enters into the presence of God after he dies. No, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about a temporary holding place for a Christian and for an unbeliever as well. There's no temporary holding place. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And Luke 23, 43, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So according to Scripture, the soul of a believer immediately enters into the presence of God after he dies. His soul returns to God. But this isn't so about the wicked. No such fortune waits for the wicked. The Baptist Confession says the souls of the wicked are thrown into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved for the judgment of the great day. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story and, and the Pharisees are present for this story. And the Lord's story includes two men, a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. According to Jesus, the rich man was clothed in beautiful and costly apparel. He ate sumptuously every day. But Lazarus, the poor man, was covered in sores. And he even begged for food at the rich man's gate. But when both of these men died, their destinies were different as well. Not only did they live a different type of life, but they also had a different destiny. And according to Jesus, the rich man died, he was buried, and he went to Hades dwelling in torment. But Lazarus went to paradise. Two different destinies. So after death, the bodies of both the righteous and the unrighteous, both of the bodies returned to dust. So the body of a believer and the body of an unbeliever, those bodies both die and they return to dust, but their souls go in different directions. The soul of the righteous returns to God, 
but the soul of the unrighteous lives in torment in hell. And that's the intermediate state. And when we die, we remain in this condition, apart from the body, but either with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. And we remain in that immediate intermediate state until the final state starts. And the final state commences at the second coming of Christ. So when you die, if you're listening to this podcast, and let's say you're a Christian, when you die, your soul leaves your body, your body goes into the ground, it returns to dust, your soul, though, goes to heaven to be with God in Christ. The unbeliever, he dies, his body goes into the ground, it corrupts, it decomposes, it returns to dust, but his soul goes to Hades and lives in torment in hell. And that intermediate state lasts all the way until Christ returns at his second coming. The most popular term for Christ's second coming is the term parousia. Uh, the term parousia, it means advent, it means presence. And since this will be Christ's second appearance, the parousia is typically called the second coming or the second advent. Obviously, the Lord's first coming or the first advent was his incarnation through the virgin birth. Where is the word parousia in scripture? In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And that's the Greek word for coming is parousia. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead. He uses the term parousia when Christ comes back uh, to raise up the bodies out of the ground. Um, the second coming uh, according to Paul, it begins, it commences the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Paul uses the term parousia exclusively throughout First and Second Thessalonians. In James chapter 5, uh, we're told to patiently wait for the coming of our Lord. Again, parousia. So it's a very popular term used for the second coming of Christ. Another term that scripture uses for the second coming of Christ is the apocalypsis, which describes a revelation or a manifestation. Obviously, the book of Revelation is the book of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, Jesus manifests himself to the world. The Bible also describes Jesus' second coming as an epiphany or the appearing. This word is found six times in the New Testament. The final term that's used to describe the second coming of Christ is the phrase, day of the Lord. Now, the terms, the apocalypse, epiphanie, the apparousia, they're strictly New Testament terms. But the day of the Lord, that phrase has Old Testament origins. According to scripture, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment that God will execute against his enemies. Uh, God will execute the enemies of his people. So at the second coming, Jesus will return to earth. He will manifest himself to the entire creation 
And this is called a revealing or the day of the Lord when Christ comes back. And that's how the final state begins. Christ returns to earth. He, his second coming is visible by all creation. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 29. He says to his disciples, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel chapter 13 says the same thing, that Jesus will return after the tribulation. The apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the great trumpet. So according to scripture, after the tribulation, there will be a loud cry, this cry will come from heaven. It'll be the voice of an archangel. A trumpet blast will be heard and Jesus and his angels will return to earth. Well, what happens next? What happens after the return of Christ? Well, the scripture says that the Lord will send out his angels to gather his elect from all over the world. And what that means is that the bodies of believers who have died those dead bodies will be resurrected from the dead. Their souls, which went to heaven, will be reunited with those bodies. And the believers who are still alive will be raised up from the earth with them at the same time. This is what we refer to as the rapture. At the second coming of Christ, the scripture says, after the tribulation, Jesus returns to earth, the voice of an archangel the trumpet blast, Christ will send out his angels. He'll gather all the believers together. Those who are dead will be resurrected. Those who are alive will be caught up in the air. And this will take place at the second coming. And here's the best part of it. The bodies of believers, whether they were coming out of the grave or whether those are still alive on the earth, they'll have the same body but different qualities. And this change will happen, according to Paul, in the twinkling of an eye. These different qualities of bodies will be our resurrected bodies, our righteous bodies. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that trumpet call. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Same bodies, different qualities. So at the second coming of Christ, after the tribulation, Christ comes back. There's an announcement. He will appear with his angels. His angels will gather the elect together. The body of dead, the dead body of believers will resurrect from the dead. Their souls will, will unite with it. And the bodies of believers who are still alive will be raised up from the earth 
and all these bodies will be different in quality. They'll be different in quality than what we had while they were while we were living. That's tremendous. What happens next? Well, according to scripture, the bodies of unbelievers will also be resurrected. Their souls who have been waiting in hell will be reunited with their dead bodies. Uh, the bodies of those who are still alive, the unbelievers that are still alive, they will, with those who have fallen, who have fallen dead, they'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. The difference is these bodies of unbelievers are not different in quality. They're not different in quality. They're still the corrupted, judged, sinful, uh, depraved bodies that they had while they were alive on earth. So according to Revelation chapter 20, after Jesus comes back, the righteous are raised from the dead those who are still alive will be caught up together. They'll go to heaven. But the body of unbelievers, they'll be resurrected as well. Those unbelievers who are still alive, they'll be caught up. They will go to the judgment seat, which is called the great white, the great white throne. And they will have their final eternal judgment. And the scripture says they will be sentenced to the lake of fire. They'll be judged. But <laughs> Satan, his demons and unbelievers aren't the only ones who will be judged after the second coming of Christ. Believers will be judged too. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So a day of judgment is waiting for believers too. But our judgment is not like the judgment of the unbeliever. Our judgment involves the Lord giving out rewards for the deeds that we did after we came to saving faith. So God rewards our obedience. After we are resurrected from the dead, those who are alive are caught up with them we go to heaven and we wait at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for our obedience. Unbelievers, Satan and his demons, they will be judged, but not like us. They will be judged according to their sins. They will be judged according to their wicked deeds. We will be rewarded for our obedience. They will be judged for their sins and wickedness. So both the believer and unbeliever are judged by the Lord. Now, what happens during this time of judgment, after the rapture, after the second coming, we don't know the exact timeline. For instance, according to scripture, after believers are raptured from the earth and we are taken into heaven, we're judged, but we also participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, remember in Matthew 26, when Jesus had the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there will be a time of judgment for us. We will be rewarded for our obedience, but we'll also participate in the Lord's Supper with Christ, a physical 
participation with Christ. He will be seated at the table and have the wine and have the bread and eat that with us. We just don't know the timeline, right? This scripture is not explicit. Does our judgment happen first? Do we get rewarded first and then we have the Lord's Supper? Does the wicked get judged first and then we get judged? Uh, does the Lord's Supper happen first and then the final judgment? We don't know. Many people believe that the marriage supper happens first and then the final judgment because the marriage supper happens in Revelation 19 when the final judgment happens in Revelation chapter 20. So maybe that's a clue. We don't know. But we do know these events will happen. The unbelievers will be judged after the second coming of Christ. The rapture will happen after the second coming of Christ. The final judgment will happen at some point and we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if you're wondering, here is my timeline of the last things. This is what I believe will happen at the final, and the last things that happen, the eternal state. First, I must die. My body must go to the grave. My soul, since I'm a believer, will go to heaven with the Lord. Unbelievers, their bodies will die, but their soul goes to hell where they will wait for their final judgment. Then at some point after my death, or even if I'm alive, the second coming of Christ will happen. The scripture says that the second coming of Christ happens after the tribulation. Right? So there's no second coming before the tribulation. It's after the tribulation. The gospel say that. Matthew 24, Mark 13. It says after the tribulation, Christ will return. After Christ returns, the scripture says that the body of believers will be resurrected from the dead. Their souls will be reunited with their bodies. Believers who are alive, they'll be caught up with Christ in the air. They will be removed from the earth. They will go to heaven and believers will wait there for the marriage supper of the Lamb to be prepared. And so we'll be sitting at the table that's already prepared for us waiting for Christ to bust through the door, sit down with his bride as the bridegroom and have the last supper with us. But while we're waiting there, unbelievers, their bodies will be resurrected from the dead. Those who are alive at the second coming, they will go with all the rest of the unbelievers and they will go and appear with Satan and with his demons at the great white throne judgment and receive their final judgment. Once Christ judges unbelievers and Satan and the demons, he, he gives them their eternal judgment, which is uh, eternal dwelling place in the lake of fire. After that happens, Christ will gloriously and beautifully approach that table. He'll sit down with his church and he'll have supper with us. And after we have our supper with Christ, we will receive our rewards for obedience. I think that's a pretty good timeline. Again, I don't know ex exactly uh, what happens after. Like, 
I don't know if we get judged first or if we take the supper first. We don't know explicitly because the scripture doesn't say. But these things will happen. And then after, after we have the marriage supper with Christ, after we are rewarded for our obedience, after unbelievers and Satan and the demons are judged eternally, the new heaven and new earth appear. Revelation chapter 21. The scripture says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Those who belong to the Lord in life will also belong to the Lord in their death forever. And that is our hope and that is our great comfort. That whether we are alive or whether we are dead, we belong to the Lord.